So our, our text today is uh, 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, and I hope you'll turn there, but before we read the text, I'd like to spend just a few minutes disclosing some things about myself, um, and then we'll spend the rest of our time in the Word, in 1 John, and other scriptures, uh, learning all about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, so first, if you don't know me, my name is Rick. Um, I was redeemed by the blood of Christ 16 years ago. Um, my wife and I and three of our children have been gathering with the saints at Maricopa Springs for several years now. I love God. I love the Word of God. And there are very few things I'd rather do than spend time mining the riches of God's Word. And I talk about God often, um, and, and I talk about the Bible often, but this is my first sermon. So you might not tell by my expression that I find it an absolute honor to be doing this. It's just that. I have fear and trembling of two sorts right now. Um, The first kind is the fear of public speaking, and I wonder if you guys can relate because I've heard um, that it's one of the most common fears among man, I mean, and it's irrational. I've had to speak in public for work, and no matter how many times I've done it, I get in front of the people, I'm never comfortable, I have an unreasonable fear. Um, And right before I'm called to approach the front of the room, I literally see my body ignore my mind. My mind is saying, all is well. You're prepared. You got this. You've done it before. Nothing bad has ever happened to you. You can do this, right? But my body must imagine another outcome. It must imagine me approaching the podium as to me walking to the edge of a cliff. It must see me picking up that microphone as me just leaping off to the rocks at the bottom. And in an effort of self-preservation, my body tries to sabotage my mind. It tries to take over to keep me from advancing. I literally watch my body turn on myself. My hands start shaking, and they are. So, you, um, so I think there's no way you can, I could hold a microphone, you know, and that's why I'm so grateful for this right now. Um, I feel nausea building up in my stomach. It's the kind of nausea I can hear rumble, and I wonder if the audience can too. Um, and again, I'm glad the microphone's way up here. Um, but in the end, I use my mind to assure myself that it's irrational, and I overrule my body, and I force myself to do it. Um, I obviously have not died from public speaking, but the cycle keeps continuing as it is today. Um, And so that process might be considered renewing my mind with the truth. And the principle of renewing our minds with the truth to overcome the flesh has a small impact on temporal things. For instance, whether or not I, I win the battle with my flesh and get up to speak at a work meeting has very little meaning in the grand scheme of things. I guess I might not make as much of a salary or something, but it does not affect my eternal state. And I want to put a postscript on what I just said because I believe everything we do has some impact on us, and we should be especially mindful of the motives behind our decisions. Whether we eat or drink, or whether we public speak or not, we should do it all to the glory of God. And I'm not sure that I could, me being afraid when something is irrational, I can do to the glory of God. Um, But my point is that just some things have little impact, and we can do them or not with little effect on our relationship with Christ. So what I'm trying to communicate is that using the mind to overcome the body when it comes to spiritual matters, things like following the commands of Christ, it's essential and it has huge implications. Its impact can result in life or death. And changing our wills to line up with God God's will is an exercise that keeps us from being conformed to the world. So the Holy Spirit, through Paul, tells us in the letter to the Romans that we need to override our fears and the lies that come into our minds. We need to deny the sinful desires that come up in our flesh. 
We need to do this so we don't try to escape actually doing what God says. So doing the will of God should be what every Christian is about. And God has not left us in the dark about what he's about. God says that if we give our whole bodies over to him and renew our minds, that if we think rightly about who he is and who he says we are, and if we rely not on our own understanding but on his revelation, that we will be transformed and we will know his will. Rather than be persuaded by the cunning of the flesh and the schemes of the world to believe lies, rather than give ourselves over to the deeds that bring death, we can renew our minds and stay abiding in Christ and live. So I have a friend that says Christians are brainwashed. Uh, This friend is a Christian, and he means it in the most appropriate way. Uh, Christians are to renew their minds or wash their brains, as he he would say it. They wash away the lies. Um, And I like that imagery. The next time an unbeliever tells you you are brainwashed for being a Christian, you tell them that you are, you washed away the lies. Um, So, again, this unreasonable fear of public speaking is just a small lesson for myself this week regarding the conflict of the mind and the flesh. I've been fighting this battle all week, and especially this morning. I don't think I need to be up here giving this sermon. It wasn't a command that God gave me. Um, But in this battle, I can see the war between my parts, and I know the same battle exists when it comes to doing things I know God wants me to do, things he's recorded for us and written for us. And our flesh is a mighty opponent in the arena of doing God's will. It wants to gratify itself, It's hungry for sensual things and for preservation at all costs. When the desires of the flesh and of your carnal mind are contrary to God's will for your life, you must fight. And ironically, in order to fight, we must die. We must offer the flesh as a sacrifice to God. He who tries to save his life loses it. Just listen to uh, Jesus. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and he is himself destroyed or lost? But that's another sermon. Let me me get back on track to where where I'm trying to go. So public speaking is one of my fears. I said, you know, um, it's not the the fear I have. I said I have two fears. This is not the fear that concerns me right now. Uh, my second fear, and the one that does concern me, is the truth that teachers will face a stricter judgment. That's a frightening, frightening reality for me since I'm about to teach on a text of Scripture. Um, and that's where my fear and trembling is coming in the most. So like I said, this is my first sermon. I really hope to receive your grace for my style of speaking um, and for my mannerisms and for anything you might hear from my belly. But, um, and I have at least two characteristics that say I will never be a good speaker. I'm a very fidgety guy, and I tend to have a hard time keeping my conversation fluid and focused and linear. Um, I intend to keep those things at bay today, but experience tells me I will probably fail. I wrote this out, and I'm sticking to it to keep myself from straying off course and going down rabbit holes, but I doubt I'll be able to control the mannerisms. If I do fail and those things get away from me and become distracting, well, I hope I receive your, your grace and you'll overlook my idiosyncrasies. But there's one area where I do not want your grace. I do not wish to receive your grace for how I handle the scripture. It's imperative that I handle it correctly. So my purpose here is to put forth the text 
to handle it properly, to use other scriptures to complement and reinforce, to pray that it motivates and informs your mind and your heart to worship and follow Christ more faithfully. I've prayed for success in that arena. And if I mishandle the text or elevate myself in any way, well, I hope to receive no grace from you and I should expect severe judgment from God. So I hope you will challenge me if I do mishandle the text in any way. Not to a sword duel or anything, but um, uh, I just mean that you would approach me or the elders um, afterwards and bring your concern. If I said something in air in public, I believe I should correct it publicly. Um, so for everyone's benefit, including myself, um, correct me. I don't want to believe error, and I certainly don't want to pass on error to you folks. Um, but I will say, if you want to refute something, I would ask that you have a scriptural case and not just your opinion. If after hearing your concern and, and agreeing from scripture that I was in error, I will come up here next week and correct or recant anything I said. But on the flip side, if what I said is new to you or you've been believing something other, then I would expect you to renew your mind and start believing the truth. So that's a little bit about me and my fears and my requests. Uh, let's pray, and then we'll get back on track. Um, again, the text is First John, um, so if you want to flip there, let's pray. Father, as Christians, we have encountered your grace in our lives by calling us to yourself. Lord, you showed us your plan of salvation through the cross, and it came at a, a great cost, Lord. I pray as we study your word right now that you would... Show us more about who you are, about who we were, who we are now, what we will become by being covered by the blood of Christ. Father, as I've uh, prayed, as I've prepared, that you would keep me from proclaiming anything that, other than your truth, Lord. I pray now that you prepare hearts and ears to receive that truth and that it stirs up and causes more love and obedience to you for your glory. And Amen. So let's read our text, 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. I'm reading from the New King James Version. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Those are the words of the Lord, so let us consider them. Let's break down the text, okay? So the first word to consider is message. We have a message here. It's an announcement, a proclamation. But even better, the word means promise. That's how it's used every other time in the New Testament. Fifty-two times it's translated promise. Um, just to see that, flip over to 1 John 2.25. 1 John 2.25 says... And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. That word is the same there. So John is relaying something to us, something sure, a good promise. So here in verse 5, he's saying this is a promise which we have heard from Jesus. Church, this is a message from Jesus. It's a beautiful promise that every Christian rejoices in, that being in fellowship with Christ will cleanse us from all sin. Let's follow along the next words. We have, we have heard from him. This tells us about the origins of the promise. Where did the message come from? The author John heard it from Jesus. So John heard something. This is not something that he read about from some historian 
and is passing along to us. The apostles heard the, the message directly from the mouth of Jesus. That is what, it, what makes them apostles of Jesus Christ. They were sent by Jesus to preach his message, not their own. They heard it directly from him. He was their teacher. Not eyewitnesses, not historians, not professors, not books. The information that they had, it came from truth. Truth himself, Jesus Christ. So keep a finger in 1 John for me and flip over to Galatians uh, chapter 1. Verses 11, 12. I'm going to have you running through your Bible a little bit, so get ready. Galatians uh, 1, verses 11 and 12. While you're looking there, the, I want to say the apostles and their writings are authoritative. They are just as if Jesus were writing. Even the apostle Paul got the message that he preaches in all of his epistles directly from Jesus. But Paul, in a different way than the other apostles, he heard the message after Jesus was resurrected from the dead. That is why Paul told the Corinthians that he had an untimely birth as an apostle. And he told the Galatians that he was not relaying the message and teachings of Christ from secondhand information. Galatians 1, verses 11 and 12. This is Paul. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Paul is a unique apostle here. And hearing the message after the resurrection. But nonetheless, he heard it from Jesus, just like John did. So if you're wondering why do I make a point about the apostles, um, because we need to be mindful that we're hearing the apostles' teaching. I don't want to take anything away from gifted teachers. Um, It's a gift of God to the church for sure, and he's equipped men to instruct and build up the body. But all teachers really need to get their information from the source from the apostles of Jesus Christ and not from their own interpretations. So search out what you are being taught and make sure it comes from the scriptures and not from man. If it is from the scriptures, believe it. So back to 1 John. You guys there? Kept your finger in there? All right, so we got the message and we got that it came from Jesus and it's about to be what? What's, What's the next word? Declared. So thus far we have learned that John has a message. It's rather a promise from Christ, which he heard from Christ himself, and now he's going to declare it to, the, to, reveal, to reveal that promise. The message, the revelation which we are getting to, it climaxes at the end of our verses here in verse, verse 7. It's that the blood of Christ cleanses those that have fellowship with him from all sin. That is the gospel, and it is the message that is being proclaimed. It was declared And it is being declared to this day. And I hope you are proclaiming it too. Readers in the first century and all the way down to the present time and all those that will read it or hear it in the future need to hear this message. This good news from Jesus. We heard this message 2,000 years later. And it is very good news. Do you remember the first time you guys heard the message? I remember the first time I heard it with a heart that was prepared by God. And I understood fully then why men die. And at the same time, I understood that they don't have to. Uh, My heart rejoiced. I was pardoned from death row. Um, It's the ultimate gift. Those that are in him, that have fellowship with him, that obey him. And I want to be clear that the first act of obedience is to believe in him and to believe what he did. They will be cleansed from their sin. We know that sin brought death. 
and we're all going to die. But if we are cleansed from sin, we are spared. We are saved from the sting of death. We are immortal. Say it with me. Oh, death, where is your thing? Oh, death, where is your... Thank you. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, brethren, establish your hearts in that, that, that message. This message we're about to hear. Abide in it. Be immovable in that. It's not hearsay. It's a promise from God. Yes, you are hearing it from messengers, but one day the one who gave the message is going to come back in the same way that he left. And he's going to reveal himself. And when he does, we will see him as he is. And we will be like him. And that too is a promise from God. So John goes on to say, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Again, the good news is in verse 7 that Christ has the power over death by cleansing us from what kills us. He knew no sin, but he spilled his blood and used it to buy his church. His blood cleanses us from our sin. And John is proclaiming that message. But here, sandwiched in the middle of that, he's giving a sort of test to see if you really believe that message. You see, Christ had more to say than just believe in me and I will save you from the wrath of God. He said, believe in me and believe what I say. Obey my commandments. There is no excuse for disobedience because he has given you the ability to obey. Let's look at something else John heard from Jesus. Flip over to John, not first John, but the Gospel of John. And look at John chapter 14, verses 21 through 24. So that's Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 21 through 24. Let's read it. Uh, Jesus says, and listen closely at the end to see that it's really God saying this. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the words which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. So we see here Jesus' call for obedience in the gospel message. You can't take the good part, you know, like, it is good part. I don't want to diminish obedience. It's, all, it's, it's good, but it's more than that. So, but in these verses, we also see that just as John is an apostle of Jesus and is telling us the message of Jesus, Jesus is a messenger of God. He's an apostle of God. He has a message from God, and you see that in verse 24. Jesus was sent with a message from God. This is what God wants and requires, that we hear Jesus and that we love him, and that we follow him, and that we obey him, and then God will come and dwell with us, and we will join him forever in eternity. We need to obey Christ. And I will say again that the first act of obedience is to believe that he is God, and he died for your sins. But it does not end there. It's a whole life of listening to and obeying Jesus. That's what it means to follow Jesus to be his disciple, to learn from him and then actually do what he taught. And that's what God is teaching here in these verses and also in 1 John. 
And he's contrasting light and darkness to teach on obedience and disobedience, on worldliness versus holiness. And like our faith, obedience is a gift of God. You cannot take credit for it, but nevertheless, you are called to do it. You are commanded to have faith, to believe, and you are commanded to obey, and they are both ordained by God. God gets all the glory here. It is a grace of God to be told about Christ and and given faith, and it's a grace of God to be taught and even made to obey. And let's flip to Titus 2 to, to see that. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. So in Titus 2, Paul is telling Titus how to proclaim Christ. And it included obedience, which is part of the grace of God. And note that he tells him to preach these things with all authority. Do not be ashamed to preach obedience. Titus 2, 11 through 15 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And let me pause here to reiterate that salvation is not the only thing that comes by grace, but it is grace that, let's continue, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort, and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. So church, it's a grace not just to receive salvation, but to be taught to forsake the things that were making you sick, that were killing you. A dog returns to his own vomit and eats again the thing that made him sick. Don't be a dog. Don't return to the thing that you were cleansed from. Back to 1 John, please. Uh, one more word I want to discuss before we spend the rest of our time talking about walking, what walking in the light looks like, and that's um, the word fellowship. And that word means to be a partner or a partaker, to have communion with. And this is a partnership, a partaking of something very particular. It's about being partakers of the life and death of Jesus Christ, which was characterized by obedience to God from birth to death, even death on a cross. We're to be characterized by that same thing in our new birth, from birth, our new birth, to death, even our own death. Oftentimes I think we miss that when we throw around the word Christian fellowship. We gather for Bible studies and we say we have fellowship. We gather for prayer, we we call that fellowship. And I guess that, that is fine if um, if you mean that you have fellowship in that particular activity. Um, by that definition, one could say they have fellowship on a sports team because they participate together. But here, it means that we are in fellowship with Christ to live and die for God's glory, just like Jesus did. We are in fellowship with Christ on that mission. Yes, Christ finished the work, and it's his work that saves us. Nonetheless, like the disciples that Jesus called, When he walked the earth, he has called us to join him, to follow him, to walk as he walked, to walk in the light and to have fellowship in that, and to remain in him and to have fellowship in his resurrection at the end. So light and darkness, they're being contrasted here. God is light, and he dwells in the light. God is truth. God is righteous. His deeds are good. In contrast, darkness has no light. 
That is its very definition. Darkness is a metaphor for evil. In God, there is no darkness at all. So a quick clarification before we move on. I just want to say when we talk about our walk, we're talking about our life, and in particular our deeds. What is being said here is that we are to do all our deeds where God dwells, in the light, in truth, in righteousness. And only evil deeds are done in the dark so that they aren't exposed. Remember what Grady read? For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. So consider when crimes occur. They tend to happen at night because the one doing them doesn't, they think they have a better shot of not being found out in the dark. Christians are not to do any deeds like that. Everything that we do when no one is looking should only be the same things that we would unashamedly do in front of others. Besides, as Christians, it's foolish to think you can hide. You may be able to hide your own sins from others, but usually I think people are only fooling themselves when they try to do that. Uh, God sees everything. Nothing can be hidden from him, and everything will be laid bare before Christ. So as Christians, we're being asked here to examine ourselves to see if we are walking in truth and in righteousness, if we, if we are living in the light. We are told to walk knowing that all of our deeds will be exposed. If you believe that, you won't do anything <laughs> in the dark. Um, if you say you have fellowship with Christ, if you claim to be partaking in his life of obedience to God, then you can confidently bring all your deeds into the light where God is because you have nothing to hide. Your only agenda is to do the will of God. But if you have something to hide, if you are walking in the dark, don't be deceived. You have no fellowship with Jesus. You are dead in your sins. And the blood of Christ has not cleansed you because you still love your sin more than God. Christian, God has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light, and he has used his apostles to tell us. Remember earlier when we talked about Paul being an apostle of the resurrected Christ? Turn to Acts 26, 16 for me. Um, Acts 26, 16. I want to look at a particular moment of Paul's experience and to see what message Jesus wanted Paul to speak. Acts 26, 16. So this is when Paul was uh, retelling his story of conversion. He was on his way to Damascus to persecute the church. When Christ appeared, notice in verse 13, in the light, it was light more glorious than the sun. It blinded Paul. And then Christ said these words, But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. And here's the purpose, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by me in faith. By faith in me. So the purpose of the message Paul was to speak was to turn people from darkness to light. From bondage to sin to liberty and living righteously. We are children of the light. We do our deeds in the light in the day because we no longer belong to the night. We should have nothing to hide because we are only doing the will of God. We have spent enough time doing the will of our flesh which was leading to death. Listen to these verses in 1 Peter 
don't have to turn there, I'll read them. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Are you still doing the will of the Gentiles, the will of your flesh, or are you doing the will of God? Is anything in that list still named among you? If so, today's verses should bear a heavy burden. You say you have fellowship with Jesus, but you lie and the truth is not in you. And the blood of Christ will not cleanse you from your sins. So believe, obey, come out of the darkness and approach the light. Arise, you sleeper. The Bible keeps saying this. God doesn't want you to miss it. Listen to these verses in Romans 13. Now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. So church, to put on Christ is to put off sin. There are two humanities walking the earth. Those in Adam, those in Christ. Put off the old man, put on the new man, Christ. The old man disobeyed God and he lost access to the tree of life. The new man obeyed God and restored access. The new man is life. If you're in him, you have life. Ephesians 5 is really a great chapter on what our walk should look like and how submission to God is played out in different roles, whether you're a child, a parent, a slave, a master, a husband, a wife. But I want to hone in on a specific section. Go to Ephesians 5 and start in verse 8, please. Ephesians 5, verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So if you are sitting here as someone that has never put their faith in Christ, or if you are sitting here claiming to be a Christian, but you're still doing deeds in the dark, Wake up. Prior to these verses we just read, it says, let no one deceive you. The wrath of God will come upon the children of disobedience. Remember the verses that Grady read? In them it also said, he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. Is what you're condemned for. Because light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. 
So let's trust that God has given us light because he has in Christ. And let's live in the light as he lives in the light. Let's obey God as Jesus obeyed God. Because again, he's given us the ability to do so. It's not our power, it's his. And let's have fellowship with Jesus in his obedience and in his resurrection and enjoy God forever and eternity. Our verses in 1 John, we're back in 1 John. They go on to say, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So besides fellowship with Christ, walking in the light is the only way Christians can have true communion with one another. Christ and his church are one body. Christ being the head and the church its parts. If one person is living in sin and will not repent, they are not part of the body. Their fellowship is broken with Christ as well as the members of his body. So the charge is to walk in the light. So how should we do that? How should we live to have true fellowship with Jesus and his church? So let's finish out with that discussion. Let's go through some instructions from Scripture on how we are to have this fellowship in obedience, how we are to walk. We've already seen several things we are told not to do. Uh, Things like immorality and lust, drunkenness and wild parties, strife and envy, and worshiping idols. But let's talk about what we should do to walk in the light. Again, this is a metaphor for our behavior. And Jesus is our example. When we say walk as Jesus walked, we don't need to go to Israel and retrace his footsteps and walk where he walked. Uh, We need to be faithful to retrace his footsteps by obeying God wherever we are and whatever he has called us to do. Just as Christ did, that we need to obey God to whatever task, even to the point of death. So let's see what scripture has to say about how we should walk. And we can't cover them all, but let's just look at a few. Um, And these are generalizations that if followed will guide you down the righteous path, the one informed by scripture. If you hide them in your heart, you will not sin against him. The Holy Spirit has recorded commands that are a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. If you heed these commands, you will always be walking in the light, down a lighted path. So the following verses all say different things, but notice how entwined they really are. They all really are. So we've covered one in 1 John, walk in the light. And there are other verses with charges like walk in truth, walk worthy of the calling, walk according to his commandments, walk in love. How about this one? Walk in wisdom. Ephesians 5.15 says, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. So we're told to be wise. How do we get wisdom? Proverbs is a great place to go to start. Um, It tells us that wisdom is crying out in the street, waiting to be taken hold of. It's, It's not hiding. It's easy to get. The only reason one doesn't have it is because they refuse to take it. Because they hated knowledge and they did not choose the fear of the Lord. They love the darkness rather than the light. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Look at yourself, your body. Look at your neighbor. We are amazing creatures. God formed us in the womb, every one of us. He gave us breath, and with one word, he can take it away. God created all things. He's amazing and powerful, and he sustains the universe. With one word, he can make the elements melt with fervent heat. And one day he will. Only those hidden in Christ will escape. So the fool does not fear God. What that 
Look at that power. The fool does not fear. He does not thank God or trust God, and his foolish heart is darkened. The wise man trusts in the Lord with all their hearts and does not lean on their own understanding. You throw away your wisdom, you take the Lord's wisdom who is all wise. That's true wisdom. It's a life built on the rock. It's on hearing the commands of God and doing them. And Jesus did that. And his obedience led him to the cross. But in his obedience, he was rewarded with his bride. And if you do that, if you follow Christ no matter the cost, it will lead you to your cross. You will die to self. You will stop trying to be your own king and wise in your own eyes. And you will bend your knee to God as king. With a healthy fear of the Almighty, you will pursue the will of God and you will be rewarded as well. No matter what storms come your way, your life will stand. You will receive the crown of life. You will receive Jesus and his everlasting life. Another charge is to walk in the Spirit. Jesus told his disciples that when he left, he would send his Spirit to lead them in all truth. When you believed, you received the same Spirit. Now, you can glorify Jesus and know the things of God because you are taught by God. This is really the only reason we can walk obediently at all. Galatians 5.16 says, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. And Galatians goes on to say, For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So if you keep reading, you'll see the fruit of the Spirit listed there. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are all the things you can do as much as you want. And whenever you want to do them, there's no law against them. Have at it. Have a party. Um, Those are the kind of wild parties we can have. If you believe what God says, even when it's contrary to your own understanding, you are walking in the Spirit. To obey God, you have to put away sin. And you have to watch and pray that you don't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. All right, one more. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Walk by faith and not by sight. Hebrew says, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So think about Abraham. God told Abraham to do many things that would not come naturally easy to trust. God told him to leave his home and go out to a place that he would receive as an inheritance. And he didn't know where he was going, but he left. God told Abraham he would have a son, even though he was old and his wife was barren. And not only that, but that his seed would grow into a multitude of nations. When it was taking longer than he wanted... He wavered and started to believe that God was not able to make it happen. He listened to others rather than God, and he took Hagar to provide the seed. That was him walking by sight. The havoc created that day is still raging. Those that are born according to the promise are still being persecuted by those born of the flesh. Later, God did give him a son as promised through Sarah. God tested Abraham. God told Abraham to sacrifice his son, the son of promise. But Abraham passed the test. This time Abraham trusted God. 
This time he walked by faith and not by sight. He concluded that God was able to raise up his son, even from the dead. He knew now that when God made a promise, God keeps his promise. God is faithful. And God didn't end up taking Isaac that day, but instead provided his own sacrifice. And I think you know the illusions. Abraham knew what it was to walk by faith. And we are of that line. We are the children of promise. We are the family that believes God, and God counts it to us as righteousness. God called Abraham out of the land he was living in. Abraham did not settle down. He did not make a permanent home once he was called. He lived in tents his whole life. Christ has called us out of a land that we were living in, which was the world. We now must live in tents, metaphorically speaking. We are strangers on this earth. If you think about your former place, and you reminisce about the world you were called out of, you will have an opportunity to go back. The world will try to draw you back, to believe that this life is all there is. It will try to tell you to gratify your fleshly desire because life is short. It will try to make you walk by sight. But those that fear God, those that love God, they walk by faith, not by sight, just like Abraham did. They desire a better place, a heavenly city, an eternal city, and God is not ashamed to be called their God. And he has indeed prepared a city for them. And I am looking forward to seeing that restored earth. So Christians, those are some of the ways we can walk in the light, and we will walk in the light because of Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Praise God. I just want to read our text one more time, back in 1 John, and we'll close with prayer. This is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love displayed for us in the life and obedience and death of Christ Jesus. It is a grace that came at a, a great cost in your only son, Lord, and I pray we don't take that grace in vain, that we all, everyone in this room takes hold of it and walks in the light, Lord, because um, you are worthy. You are good and righteous, Lord. I pray that the things we've heard today about how do, we should walk are stored up in our heart, that we hold them as a valuable treasure, that we lean not on our own understanding, but wholly trust in you, Lord. Help us in that endeavor as we, as we know that you have equipped us with your spirit, and you have not left us orphans. Father, these things are overwhelming. I pray that it humbles us. I pray that we spend our lives living for your glory because you are worthy. And praise your name for all eternity. Amen.